Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in the book of Haggai, chapter 1. So I'll give you a few seconds to turn there. The book of Haggai in the Old Testament, chapter 1. It's a minor prophet. Not that his message is minor by any means. His message is profound. The title to today's message is Consider Your Ways, A Study in Priorities. So as soon as I hear the pages almost stop turning, which is a really sweet sound, it really is, I'll start. We're going to read through the entire chapter, it's 15 verses, so please join me in reading of the word. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your, your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the, withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Chiltil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke, to the Lord's, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant 
of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Lillian Dixon, who was a missionary to Taiwan, is quoted as saying, Life is a coin. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can only spend it once. Someone expanded on that quote and said, Each day we get a coin. It's dispensed from a large container, one at a time, and we never know how many are left. So we take that coin and we exchange it every day for something. It could be work, could be family, pleasure, leisure, or the things of God. But once it's gone, you can never get it back. And once the coins run out, your life is over. Now the coin we're talking about isn't money, but it's our hearts, it's our desires. What we spend each day's coin on determines and exposes what our priorities are. It determines our priorities because something takes our time, something takes our talent, our treasures, and we are willing to allow that to happen. That's where we spend our coin for that day. It also exposes what our priorities are. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we tre- what we treasure reveals our heart. Are we treasuring the things of this world? Or are we putting God first? Now, as I was preparing for this message and even asking that last question, I thought, well, I'm going to be speaking to kind of the faithful here on Sunday morning. And it would seem that the answer to that question would be obvious. You may say, Pastor Paul, we're here in church on Sunday. Doesn't that reveal the priorities of our life? Doesn't that tell you where our treasure is, where our heart is? And I would say it might, but not definitely. You see, sometimes we do these things out of obligation or out of routine or out of habit. But are our hearts really there? That's a question that you need to ask as we go through this message today. And then what about the rest of our time? So the message we take here today is for the ones who are here, yes. It's also for the ones who aren't here who may hear this on the, on the web or get a CD or, or maybe one of you will speak to somebody and bring that conversation up with them. Our job, whenever we study the Word of God, is to look at our own lives, figure out where God may want to be talking to us, what changes He may want to make in our lives, and then to show others by our actions what we really consider as important in our lives. A little history 
to the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet. He was living in, during, and after the captivity of the Jews by the Babylonians from 605 to 587 B.C. In 587 B.C., the temple was destroyed and the city of Jerusalem taken. The people were taken out of the city, brought to Babylon, and held in captivity for 70 years. He writes the book sometime after the return of the Jewish people. Haggai is told by God to give a message to the people that they have their priorities wrong. Now think about it. They were out of, the, out of their homeland for 70 years. They got influenced by that pagan culture. We can get influenced and sidelined in God's work by the culture. The Jews were taken out of their homeland, brought to a pagan nation, and they began to get their priorities mixed up. They actually became more like the culture instead of being set apart for the things of God. Now, that was a difficult time, no doubt. No doubt being ripped from your home, separated from your family, taken from all of your religious rituals must have been very difficult. But they willingly gave in to the pull of the culture. And as Christians, we need to stand against the trends in society, those things that may be pulling us away from God. We need to show that it's not just lip service that we put God first, but by our actions that He's the focus of our life. And I think for, for those who have young children or teens, they need to see what your priorities are. They need to see it by your actions that you're putting God first. You know, kids are, kids are pretty smart. They can see hypocrisy. You know, you can tell them one thing, but then do another. I think this needs to come as a result of your actions. All of the prophets that God used during this time, they had the challenge of giving a message to the people who at a certain point depended too much on ceremony, too much on tradition, and even too much on a building instead of a true relationship with God. And after their return from captivity and being influenced by the pagan nations around them and the culture in Babylon, they became really discouraged. You know, and sometimes we can look at the world as Christians and we can become really discouraged. We can think that, you know, there's just, no, there's just nobody out there that's really speaking for us. There's nobody out there that's, that's really showing the world what a relationship with Jesus Christ really means. And, and that can be discouraging. Haggai's call to them was to convince them to go back to putting God first in every aspect of their lives. Now, this is not to say that when they returned from the captivity that they just went, went about their, their pagan lives. Actually, the work on the temple began, began really enthusiastically. The people were really excited. In Ezra, the account here in Ezra 3, verses 10 and 11, 
says, when the builder, builders laid the foundation of the temple, now this is after the return, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. So they had a worship service. And then they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What an amazing time that was. They really just jumped into the, into the work. Imagine the scene. You're separated from your homeland. You're in captivity for 70 years. You're away from all of your religious traditions. And when they returned, they felt rejuvenated. That they returned back into the land. They wanted to jump into the work of laying the foundation of the temple. You have to understand at this time that the temple was the place where God met with them and where they performed their sacrifices as God had ordained in the Old Testament. But you have to think also practically, the work was very difficult. The work was hard. And it was taking longer than expected. And they became impatient. Sound familiar? I think that's our problem a lot of the time. You know, God may even tell us that He's got something awesome planned for us, but we just can't wait. And we need to sort of help God as if He needs our help. I remember when He told Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a, a son and how they just, they just couldn't wait. Now, this was a word from the Lord. They, they heard from him. They knew his promises were true. And yet it was that impatience that they just tried to do it in their own way. How many times we sometimes get impatient, even when we know God wants to do a great work, that we just start to step out of God's will a little bit at a time. We lose our focus. And then when we lose our focus and we're not doing things God's way or it's just taking longer than we expected, sometimes we do get discouraged. And then sometimes we just step away from the work and we put our own desires first. The people here soon became apathetic and discouraged and the work actually stopped. In fact, it stopped for 14 years. Now let's pray that our discouragement and our apathy and our impatience doesn't put us on the sideline for 14 years, put us on a shelf for any extended length of time. During that time, the people became preoccupied, preoccupied by their, with their own lives, with their own houses, and they neglected the things of God. They got caught up in life. They got caught up in just the day-to-day. -day. Working, raising families, enjoying leisure time, renovating our homes. How much time does some of us spend renovating our homes? And listen, some may need it. But think about the, think about the, the, the lesson here in Haggai. They put God's work on hold and they went and they started to work on their own houses. 
we may become distracted by our own desires and start to neglect the things of God. How many times have we put off doing the Lord's work in favor of our own? I like how Charles Spurgeon puts it. And there's a quote here that I remember and I will, I will never forget. Let's see if you can pick it out. I'll tell you what it is at the end. Spurgeon says, Genuine faith in God creates a prompt obedience. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. There was an immediate response to the command. Delayed obedience is disobedience. He goes on, I wish some Christians who put off duty would remember this. Continued delay of duty is a continuous sin. If I do not obey the divine command, I sin. And every moment that I continue in that condition, I repeat the sin. This is a serious matter. If a certain act is my duty at this hour, as I leave it undone, I have sinned. But it will be equally incumbent upon me during the next hour. And if I still refuse, I disobey again, and so on, till I do obey. Boy, Spurgeon just has a way of cutting to the heart of the matter. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's the quote. That's the line that I'll never forget. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, I'm not telling you that I've always immediately obeyed because there have been many times in my life since I became a believer that I heard from God. I knew it was God. I knew God was showing me something, pointing me in a certain direction, and I delayed. And for me, it was just a delay until I read this and realized it was also disobedience. And as I continued to delay, I continued to be disobedient to the Lord. The message today is not merely a rebuke for the lack of work done on rebuilding the temple. See, it has an application for us. For us, it's a lesson in priorities. What can we learn from the experience of a people 2,500 years ago? What can we understand about the desire for God to bless us and how we may be standing in the way of that blessing? See, as believers, God will never remove his love from us. But we may miss out on a blessing if we become preoccupied with the affairs of this world. I love the comparison that Paul writes in 2 Timothy comparing believers to soldiers in God's army with God as our general. He writes in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. What, what Paul's saying here is that the battle is difficult. And for any of you who have been on the battlefield, you know that. The battle is not easy. Well, you, may, you may endure hardship as a soldier of Jesus. But that shouldn't discourage you or di distract you from the Lord's work. See, because sometimes what happens is as times get difficult, we start to walk away from the things of God and we start to engage in maybe easier things, things that don't have 
trials, things that don't have difficulties. And we start to go in that direction because we just can't endure the hardship any longer. But Paul says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Are we too entangled with the affairs of this life that we can't do the Lord's work? Hopefully it's a question that we all can answer in our time seeking the Lord through this. We're going to jump in in the first five verses of Haggai chapter 1. And we're going to unpack it. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, that the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. A couple of things pop out at me here that I actually don't have in my notes, but it says in verse 2 that the Lord says, this people, this people. I think it's showing here that the Lord is kind of putting some distance between him and the Jewish people. He didn't say my people. He said this people. Be careful when you get your priorities mixed up so that you concentrate on the things of this world, things of this life, your own things that God doesn't pull back from you. The prophet Haggai went to the two most influential leaders in Judah to give his message from God. Zerubbabel was the governor and the secular leader. Joshua was the high priest and the religious leader. Both had a say, both had a stake in seeing the temple rebuilt and the people returning to a true relationship with God. You know, when we're in a right relationship with God, when Christians are doing what we're supposed to be doing, walking in a way that's pleasing to God, this society would, would be wonderful if everyone was following the Lord. You know, it says in the book of uh, Judges, I believe, you know, that the people were doing right, uh, what was right in their own eyes. We need to be doing what was, what's right in God's eyes that this society would be influenced by godly things. But the Lord here, through the prophet, revealed the true priorities of the people. In verse 2, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this, peop- this people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. This is an excuse. How many times do our excuses for not being obedient Sounds so spiritual. The people here weren't saying they just decided to stop building the temple. They were saying it's not God's timing to build the temple. They were saying they were hearing from God and God was saying delay. But that wasn't true. We can sometimes justify our own disobedience with hypothetical spiritual excuses. But the reality is, as Spurgeon said, delayed obedience is disobedience. 
And again, let's remember that these were not sinful pagan people. These were the remnant of the people that returned to Judah. This was only a real small portion, really, of all of those that were taken into captivity. These were the ones who really wanted to get back to a relationship with God, really wanted to set back up the things of God and the worship of God. And they were enthusiastic about going back into the land. So lest you think that these were just unbelievers who wanted nothing to do with God. These were believers. This is like us as Christians who just kind of put God on the back burner. These were the ones who were really committed to the Lord. But we know that we can get diverted. We can get distracted from putting God first from time to time. And sometimes it comes when we're in the midst of a trial. And that's a difficult place to be. You see, these people had a lot of opposition and a lot of difficulty rebuilding the temple. So much so that they rationalized that if God wanted it done, that he would remove all the obstacles. Now, I've thought that myself sometimes. Well, if this was really a work of the Lord, then he would just make the path clear in front of me. It wouldn't be this difficult, would it? If this was the Lord's will, well, that's not necessarily so either. I think about the Apostle Paul's life and everything that he had been through between the stonings, the beatings, being left for dead, being shipwrecked, just all of the opposition that he got. Was that the Lord's will? Yes, it was. Was it the Lord's will that he persevered through that, endured that, and then wrote much of the New Testament? I believe so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, the world can do a lot to us. Circumstances can do a lot to us, but they can't destroy us completely from the work of the Lord. Yeah, amen to that. Paul is telling us here that he went through extremely difficult times while doing the Lord's work, but he didn't get discouraged. He didn't get sidetracked. He kept his priorities straight. Certainly a lesson for all of us. Back to Haggai 1, verses 4 and 5. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So this is the second time here that we see this Consider your ways. Let's remember that. The people had left the work on the temple and to began remodeling their own homes. Now, when you, when you see their paneled houses, that's something special. That's not just your, your normal 
home. This is something special that they were doing on their homes. This is above and beyond. This is like, this is like you know, your house is really nice, but you just got to keep adding more. And this is what the people were doing. We're prone, as these people were, to put our own needs, wants, and desires above God's. It's really, unfortunately, as a, as a fallen people, as a sinful people, it's kind of our default position. We have to make an actual conscious effort to put the things of God first. If we don't, we kind of naturally default to putting our own agendas before God's. This is something that we can't just sort of go through our lives and expecting that we would be doing God's will first. It's something that we need to consciously, prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to help us, empower us, keep us focused, or else we'll continue to fall back. We may even know that God's way is, is best. We may even know that putting God first is certainly the way we should go. Yet we drift. We drift towards selfish living. We drift towards the things of the world. We drift toward leisure. And we get away from the work of the Lord. Even for those of us who have made a commitment to Christ. Now, there may be some of you here today who do not have that relationship with the Lord. And that's something that, that God wants to do in your heart. But for those of us who have made a commitment, think about at the beginning when you made that decision for Christ, how zealous you, you were. I know I was for spiritual things. We were just so excited to be saved. We were so excited to have a relationship with God. We were, we were excited about the things of God, learning about, about God, studying His Scriptures, diving into the work. It reminds me of the people here who came back into the land just enthusiastically rebuilding the temple. But over the years, as trials come, as difficulties come, we may move away from that. Or maybe we just don't see progress. Maybe we just don't see the Lord really working. We don't see God's plan coming to fruition and we become impatient. But think about this. All of the other things in our life continue, don't they? The work, the family, the entertainment, the leisure, they all continue. And the things of God get put on the back burner. The Lord is saying, consider your ways. That Hebrew phrase, consider your ways, is literally Put your heart on the road. Put your heart on the road. Think about it. He's saying here, give careful thought to the path you're on. Is it God's plan or is it your own plan? It says in Proverbs 16:9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord directs his steps. So as we consider our ways, as we put our heart on the road, so to speak, is that God's path for our lives or is, that our, is it our own? And sometimes God allows difficult circumstances in our lives to get our attention. 
Don't you all know that there have been trials that you've been through and sometimes you come out the other side of it and you say, yep, I get it, God. You were trying to get my attention there. He does the same thing here. Going back to Haggai 1, verses 8 through 11. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Look, your circumstances may be the making of your own unwise decisions and choices. But your circumstances may also be the Lord saying, I have done this in your life. I have caused this trial in your life because I really need to shake you up. I really need to get your attention here. Come back to me. Focus on me, God is saying. I love what he does in, in verse 8. He says, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. God is saying, here, here's your way out. Here's your escape hatch. I'm telling you what to do. Put me first. Focus on my work. Gather the wood. Build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it. He's saying, pour yourselves into the kingdom activities so that he may be glorified. Sometimes God is telling us to get about his business. And our work for the Lord, when we're obedient to that, has a twofold effect. First, he's glorified when we have our minds on heavenly things instead of earthly things. It's what he takes pleasure in. And as Christians, Aren't we, don't we want to give God pleasure by our lives? Shouldn't that be something that we seek day after day to give Him pleasure, to give Him glory? And then secondly, the second effect of us getting about the Lord's business is that we're blessed because not only are we where we need to be, we're where God wants us, but we see him working through us. That's so awesome. It's so wonderful to see God, the creator of everything, working through your individual life into the lives of others. You know, imagine we had the announcement today about the caroling. Imagine working through a teen to reach an older person for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. But God can do that. God can do that. So he says, go up to the mountains, bring the wood, build the temple, that I may take pleasure and be glorified. God's giving us 
a way out. He's telling us, focus on Him. Glorify Him. Honor Him. Put Him first. He's trying to get them and us to reprioritize our lives. And yet sometimes we ignore His hand of correction. You know, the people during this time had a very difficult time back in Judah. They were really committed and they desired to get back to the godly things, but again, they got distracted. And so what did God do? He brought a drought into the land. And no matter what they did, it seemed like in our vernacular, there was more month left at the end of the paycheck. They couldn't get ahead. Now, I'm not talking just financially. I'm just talking about entire, in, their, in their lives in, in its entirety. They couldn't seem to get traction in their lives. In verse 9, he says, You looked for much, but it, indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. See, they were putting their minds and their efforts, and their time into all of these worldly things, and yet it wasn't even bringing them pleasure. How many times do we put our own needs before God's, and then afterwards we feel no satisfaction? Because really, it's not the important things. It's not the priority. It's not the emphasis that we should be placing our time and our efforts in. So we don't have that satisfaction. He's saying here, you looked for much, but it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. It didn't satisfy. I don't know what each of you are going through right now. Maybe it's the same kind of thing. Maybe you've put your stuff before God thinking that you would get satisfaction out of that thinking that this would bring you great pleasure and you, find, you wind up empty. You know, Solomon did that. He tried everything. He tried riches. He tried alcohol. He tried many wives. It gave him no pleasure, maybe for a moment, but nothing that lasted. He got distracted. He got distracted from God's work. He got distracted, unfocused. He started to pursue worldly pleasures, and it gave him no satisfaction. Think about the discipline that God may be bringing upon you right now. Think about that trial or circumstance. Prayerfully consider whether it might be God trying to get you back on the right path and then ask him to help refocus you on his, on his work, on his will. See, but God also realizes that putting his things before ours can be difficult. I think that's why he says twice in this chapter, consider your ways. He's trying to get us to sort of uh, renew our minds, change our thought process. 
into thinking. Consider. Meditate. Give careful thought to putting him first. Because it doesn't come naturally. And then we see in verse 12, the people's response. The people's response to Haggai's message here. And I love this because this shows God's grace. It says in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. I see a few things here in the people's response to the, to the message of Haggai. First, the leaders recognize their responsibility to God and to the people. See, God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't say, well, the people have messed up, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to them and I'm going to give them their, my message of rebuke and correction and discipline No, he says it starts at the top. So he goes to the leaders. He goes to the secular leader. He goes to the religious leader. And he said, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. So Haggai gave that message to the leaders and to the people. The response came from the leaders and the people. It's the same way. Leaders aren't exempt from this. You know, leaders in the church, leaders in, in your company, leaders in the community. They're not exempt from this. It's something that we all need to take to heart. Second thing I see here is that they heard God's messenger. They heard him. Are we blocking out those things? Are we shutting our ears to God speaking to us? And it might be through his word. It might be through times of prayer, but it's also possible that God could be speaking to us through other people. Maybe God's giving someone a message, whether it's a teaching. Maybe your morning devotional really speaks to your heart. Maybe you're you're reading the Word and something jumps out at you and says, yes, God, you're talking to me. I I can see that. We need to be attentive We need to have our ears open to God speaking to us. Now, God doesn't send prophets like he did in the Old Testament. We have the law and the prophets now revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. We need to be listening for his voice. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past, to the fathers by the prophets, just like he did here in the book of Haggai and all the prophetical books we can see and the historical books we can see God speaking through the law. He has in these last days spoken spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Jesus Christ speaks to each and every one of us in our times of prayer and through His Word, 
And we need to be attentive to his voice. The next thing we see here in the people's response is that they obeyed. Is that they obeyed. There was action that took place. You know, if God is speaking to you, if God is, is disciplining you, if God is trying to get you refocused, what is he now trying to tell you to do? What's your response to that? They realized that the Lord was trying to get their attention and that he wanted them to put him first. And their response, they did well. Took them a long time. Took them 14 years of trial and circumstance and difficulty. But they knew they were given an opportunity for, so to speak, a do-over. A do-over. God's grace. How amazing it is. Boy, we thank God for do-overs, don't we? We thank God that when we mess up, He just gives us a chance to get it right. Second chance, sometimes third chance. We should be so, so grateful for that. And how do we show our gratitude for God? You know, we have to be attentive again. Attentive to His voice, attentive to His leading. We show our gratitude to God's grace by being immediately obedient the next time. Learn those lessons. The last thing I see here in their response is that they feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. This is reverential fear. This is a sense of profound respect and awe for a God who wants the best for them and the best for you and I. This is essential to us. This is something that we need to really understand. That is the fear of the Lord. And that is not necessarily to cower in fear, but to give Him the respect that He's due. He is the Creator of all things, and, and He also is our Father in heaven, isn't He? You think about that intimate relationship. Don't you want to please Him? So that fear, that awe, that respect, that reverence is out of, is a response for us to please God. To please God. We don't want to ignore that hand of, of correction. We don't want to ignore those times of difficulty. We want to take those things and we want to make good use out of them. You know, we don't want them to come that often. But when they do come, and they will, we don't want to turn it around for God's glory, amen, for our good and to grow in our relationship with Him. The final few verses here Give us now God's response to the people. We saw the message from the prophet. We saw the people's response to the message. And now we see God's response to the people's repentant attitude. It says in verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, 
I am with you, says the Lord. Of, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Wow, encouragement, huh? Here's the encouragement that they needed. Here's the encouragement that we need. And that is, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. After all they had been through, after the words of rebuke and correction through that prophet, this must have been a really beautiful sound to hear, I am with you, says the Lord. See, God was going to strengthen them for the work that He had. God was going to equip them for the work that He wanted them to do. You know, God wants to equip each and every one of us. You know, God is, will be with us in that work. Do you know that when He sends us out, when He puts a desire on your heart for His, for his ways, for His will, you know, do you know when He commissions us to do that awesome work for Him that He also equips us? Boy, what a load off our shoulders that is, huh? Because if we did it in our own strength, we would grow weary. You know, the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. Why? How can we do that? Because we give it to God and He strengthens us for the work. We bow before Him. We're obedient to Him. He equips us for the work. It's not ourselves. It's not something we do in our own strength. These people couldn't do this work in their own strength. They grew tired. After a couple of years, they laid the foundation. They were wiped. They weren't doing it in His strength. This is a word of encouragement to us. I'm with you. You turn your priorities around. You refocus on me. You go about my work. I will equip you for that work. When we get our priorities straight, when we finally refocus our lives, God will be right there beside us. Praise the Lord. He wants to use us, folks. He wants to use us. We just need to get our priorities in order. We just need to really consider our ways. We just need to figure out how to put God first and put our things on the back burner. Now, He wants to bless us. Don't get me wrong. He wants to give us an abundant life. I don't know how that looks for each and every one of us. It's, it's kind of different. Some of us are a little bit maybe higher maintenance than others. I guess, in, I don't know if higher maintenance in God's eyes is the same as in ours, but, you know, some, peop, some are just really simple and, uh, you know, some maybe need, need more or want more or whatever. God wants to bless you, but He also wants to use you. 
I see, as I look around here at the church, I see really good people who are excited about the Lord's work. Yeah, I do. I hear them. They come to us and they say, what can I do? They, they make themselves available. They, they, and, and, they don't, and many of the time, it's in the background. You don't know. And that's an awesome thing. I see people who love the Lord and they want to do His work. I love what he says here in these verses. It says, the Lord stirred up the Spirit. The Lord stirred up the Spirit. He wants to stir our spirits. He wants to stir us up to greater works, to obedience to Him. If you need your spirit stirred, this message is for you. See, I believe He still has much more for us to do. So our question would be, do we want to be a part of that kingdom work? that He has planned? Because, believe it or not, He can do it with or without you, with or without me. He'll accomplish His will. But do we want to really miss out on the blessings of being a part of what God has? And we don't know how far that can go. We don't know what it looks like. You know, this town of Jamesburg needs Jesus. And it might be something as simple as being obedient to the, to the Spirit speaking to you when you're at the local diner and that waiter or waitress looks just really discouraged for you to get a, wor- a word of encouragement. I don't know. Maybe that's it. You know, it's not about selling Calvary Chapel Crossfields. It's about bringing people into a relationship with the Lord. Now, God is speaking to the believers here in this message. He's speaking to those who are really committed and just kind of got sidetracked. But I think he's also speaking to those who don't know him. I think he's speaking to them by saying, what are you putting before Jesus in your life? What's holding you back from coming to a relationship with him? And if that's you, if you're not there, see, I love the fact that God's Word is applicable to all of us, no matter where we're at. See, if you're a believer here, He's saying, refocus your lives. If you haven't made that decision for Christ, He's saying the same thing. He's saying, refocus your lives or focus your life on Me, that I may give you an abundant life. And I may give you things that you never imagined. So my prayer as we close is that God will be stirring your hearts, stirring your hearts to get focused on Him, to get your priorities straight. And for those who don't know Him, to make that decision for Him. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields.
We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.